0: it's okay for me to want the pear, you know, or the peach
1: rather. Or the eggplant. (laughs) Yes, or the eggplant. Sorry. It's Tuesday, March 19th, and you're listening to the Typed Out Podcast. I am your host, Nick Polifrone. Every week, Typed Out aims to deliver conversations that seek to expand the boundaries of understanding and acceptance. Today we are taking a look at the way public education is, and isn't, keeping up with a shifting culture. In what ways do the things we learn affect the roles we play as adults? And just how inclusive is the current curriculum? Who better to investigate this topic with than someone who is directly connected to the source? My guest this week is an educator at Douglas County High School in Douglasville, Georgia, where she teaches sophomore and senior level English. And when not connecting with students on literature, she can be found working on poetry of her own. Please welcome Tiffany Danielle. Hey, Tiff. How's it going?
0: Hey, Nick. It's going great. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for joining me.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Of course. So I'm super eager to get into all of this with you because just through conversations about like being book lovers and literature lovers and just like kind of finding the ways in which those find their place in your work, like how society and culture is either representative or affected by what's happening in education. Absolutely. Yeah. And also like one thing that kind of really sparked this whole interest of wanting to see what's happening at the public school level is I remember reading an article in July of last year about how Canada's sex education curriculum was repealed from a 2015 update back to 1998 because of protests against expanding that curriculum. They wanted to start suddenly including uh, topics around uh, gender identity, uh, Mm -hmm. same-gender relationships, uh, and basically introducing kids to... Something beyond the heteronormative sex education that I know I definitely received growing up. Yes, and so it just made me think, like, what you know, since I graduated high school in two thousand three, like, what is going on in school nowadays, and is it reflecting the way that society and culture is beginning to shift or has been shifting?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's definitely a topic that is worth investigating, for sure.
1: Absolutely. And before we do that, this podcast is made possible by Audible, which is the leading provider in audiobook content. And as an English teacher and avid reader, I know you must have a book to recommend for our listeners.
0: I do. I actually have one that I recently listened to on Audible, which I love. It's uh, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. I know it seems a little cliche, but there are some really nice little nuggets in there.
1: And can you give us like a little bit of a breakdown as, as is it like
0: sure it's um, it's kind of like a self help book. Um, she goes through her anecdotes of what she's been through in her life and what has helped her in hopes that it may help someone else. I found it really uh, responsive to my life considering that she writes about not being a good enough writer and really inspired me to start putting my work out there.
1: Yeah, great. Which we hope to hear more about yes. in the episode. If you go to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible and you can download a copy of girl wash your face by and what was her name again the author i'm sorry
0: rachel hollis
1: rachel hollis Mm -hmm. for free so do go to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out and you can get a copy and listen along to tiff's recommendation okay so here we go education here we go. <laughs> so please tell us what um, what your role is at Douglas County High School.
0: Sure. I am an English language arts teacher. I teach both world literature, which is 10th grade, mm-hmm. and British literature, which is 12th grade. Right. So I have been teaching at Douglas County for two years now, and it is quite the experience being in the Bible Belt and teaching expansive literatures.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So first question is... How does being in the Bible Belt affect education?
0: Well, it definitely doesn't uh, provide a lot of room for diversity as far as literature that goes beyond the gender norms. Um, It goes beyond the heterosexual norms, uh, unless the teacher feels comfortable enough to press those issues and feels confident enough to handle some of the backlash that you get from parents.
1: Yeah and i just want to talk about how like this is so it's this topic is particularly important to me because i want to say my first introduction to um gay literature as it were was in high school like i remember my sophomore english teacher or we were reading a separate piece and i remember that book just resonating with me because it was the first male male relationship that I had come across in a way that was so accessible to me. Like I didn't have to go and find it. Somebody actually, and whether this was uh, my teacher, Mr. Carino, whether it was, you know, him advocating to get that book as being a part of the curriculum or somebody higher up in the board of education decided that it was vital. It was just so nice for someone to make that accessible to the student body. And I really appreciate that. And I think it was kind of, my first foray into queer literature and it just kind of sparked this whole journey of finding more you know Mm, and so i think it's so important to to have this conversation to investigate how how the curriculum is affected by society and culture and also being in a place like georgia in the bible belt how the culture there does and does not affect what winds up in school
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, you and I, we didn't graduate too far apart. I graduated in 2005 from high school and I didn't incorporate, um, or encounter rather literature of that variety until I was in college where, you know, colleges are stemmed a lot more liberal than, um, traditional public education, especially being in Georgia. So when I found that literature in college, My eyes were opened to a whole new world. It was it was quite um, jarring that this literature wasn't included in my high school curriculum and it wasn't until very recently um, and still is sort of an issue. So we have this opportunity to start changing the tide. And I think what is allowing that is this generation that is coming in and saying it's not okay to only have literature written by uh, predominantly white authors to begin with, yeah. but also just heterosexual authors. The only mm-hmm. introduction that they have had into any um, anything that has to do with either gender fluidity or... Uh, homosexuality is when we talk about Shakespeare, and that's not really fair, <laughs> so. yeah,
1: and even still, like, yes, Shakespeare uh, pioneered a lot of what we would now consider very social aware topics. I mean there there was a lot of exploration in his writing period, like even in the mm, language, yes. how malleable it it was at that time, and still is, but it's like we hearken back to like Shakespeare as this real. Uh, wordsmith you know he he Mm -hmm. created a lot of the words and the phrases that we now have in our common vernacular Mm -hmm. but it's like at the same point in time I think of like as you like it and Rosalind um, the female lead there and how she kind of plays that she blurs the lines of the gender binary right the same thing with Viola from Twelfth Night there's Mm -hmm. a lot of gender bending but at the same point in time while those things are present there is still this like wrap around to the binary at the oh, yes. end, you know, like Rosalind is like, oh, but I'm a girl. And like not yeah. only am I a girl, but like I'm definitely a girl. Right. The same thing with <laughs> Viola, where she's just like, I was only masquerading as a boy, but definitely still feminine. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so nice to see that especially during his time, those themes were being played with. But it's like now that we just have more understanding, more awareness, mm. how can we take these themes that he started to navigate which is great where it comes into what you said you were teaching uh british lit correct Mm -hmm. yes um how we can take those themes there and find other literature that supports them more modern literature that supports them and gets these ideas um, and also like someone's identity because you know that there's another there is a live breathing person who identifies with these things that are that's advocating for these things how we can get this material in front of young minds
0: absolutely absolutely I think um, one of the best things that I do in my classroom is it's kind of a two-fold project. So we have an independent reading project where they have a choice of 36 different books. Nobody can duplicate what they are reading. And I include literature that has all sorts of topics and issues, um, particularly for my world literature students. There are a, a few books, but one that comes to mind that has really... Um, captivated the reader's attention is born confused and it is about an Indian woman coming out to her family Mm. um, and what that means in that culture and how is that different from the culture we live in now and is it socially acceptable or how is it not socially acceptable and then we have um, oranges are not the only fruit being read in British literature and kind of the same thing like hey I don't have to just choose that one fruit from the tree mom it's okay for me to want the pear you know yeah. or the peach rather um so it's or the it, eggplant yes <laughs> or the eggplant <laughs> Sorry. Yes, no, (laughs) yes, but you're totally right. Like, it is okay. And I think exposing um, our students to the varieties that are out there in literature helps them also, um, if they are questioning or if they are dealing with issues of acceptance, or even if they aren't, even if they're completely blind to what acceptance looks like, it could open their minds to going, oh, not only tolerance but coexistence and love and it is okay to have these differences and that diversity should be celebrated and not tucked under the rug
1: yeah absolutely and i think that public schools like one thing that i'm super excited to get into with you is what you do on friday in your classroom yes um but like public schools and education in general before we even get to the collegiate level should be a way in which we do challenge the minds of our youth in the way to think outside of experiences that are local to them. Oh, yes. You know, and I, I remember, like, in our, our phone call that, you know, just kind of going around what we wanted to talk about, I remember saying that, like, In high school, I didn't read To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. I didn't read I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. Like, Mm -hmm. those weren't a part of my English courses that I took. Mm -hmm. I had to read them independently. And I know that a lot of high schools do incorporate them. But it's like, how do... Those books get incorporated into certain courses, into certain school Mm. districts, and completely miss the mark in others.
0: Wow. And I think that that's really interesting that it wasn't incorporated in yours with the geographic distance between, you know, Connecticut versus Georgia. Um, To Kill a Mockingbird is a staple here. And i think mm. it's a staple here because of the rich history um of slavery in the south and that it it is also a staple to read the king's speeches and it is a staple to read maya angelo and to look at oh here is the progression here here is what this looks like and that's how we've gotten to where we are um and it it's hard sometimes it's really hard as a white female teacher to teach those types of checks to a predominantly um, African-American population, which is where mm. I teach. Yeah. And it's hard when they look at you and go, how could you possibly understand or how can you possibly relate to this? Um, and those are questions that I love as a teacher because yeah. they are the ones posing to me. You are other. You are the outsider right now and and so what does that mean and how does this transform so it it's challenging but it's nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? but
1: it also goes to prove that like we are all the educator and the student oh, you yeah. know just because your role is teacher doesn't necessarily mm. mean that you know everything oh no you know yeah and,
0: <laughs> my students know that they call me out all the time um, they make fun of me a lot because I can't spell. Yeah, I'm an English teacher. (laughs) I cannot spell, but I have dyslexia. And I tell them that up front. I'm like, look, guys, um, I have dyslexia. I've struggled with it most of my life. And sometimes I get things backwards and just let me know and correct it. Or you come up to the board and correct it. You're not going to offend me. When we can recognize and we can sit down and we can learn from one another, that's when growing happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I truly think that teaching is mentoring where it's like Mm. you bring out the best in somebody, you know, you introduce them to so many different things, but it's also like seeing where somebody's gifts and talents lie Mm. and being able to foster that.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. It's funny. We were talking about this the other day in class. We're talking about identity and labels and one of the students goes, um, well well your label is mom. Your label is teacher. And I said, I don't like that label. <laughs> and he said, What? You don't like your job? I said, No, I love my job. I don't like the label teacher. I would much rather be called a guide. I don't yeah. I don't feel like teacher is really the word for what I do.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. I mean and it's true though, like it's because knowledge is again a very malleable thing. Thing mm-hmm. even science, which most of it is hard proven fact is still changing as new discoveries are made you know as as we gain insight into new things as exploration continues i should say oh, yeah. is that things are constantly changing or being challenged you know even literature it's like the more that you read the more that you become exposed the more that you diversify the voices that you expose yourself to. You mm-hmm. start looking at things like history completely mm-hmm. differently.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You start looking at things like yeah. literature
1: completely differently. Yes. You know, and so that's yes. really why I wanted to dive into this topic and see like in 2019, what is it that our, our students are being exposed to? And mm-hmm. so you said that you teach Brit literature and then world, world. literature? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so how... In your classroom, do you find the ability to expand the boundaries of of what students are reading.
0: So one of the things um, that we do is on Wednesdays, we do What Up Wednesday, where students are required to go out and find research on a topic that I gave them the previous week. Um, And these are topics that pertain both to the literature that we are reading and our bigger questions, which is what we talk about on Fridays. Um, Fridays are my favorite day of the week, we do Socratic seminars, or we do um, debates. So it just depends on what you know the topic is. But Socratic seminars are one of my, my most favorite. And it's kind of selfish. It is one of my most favorite. <laughs> they, they sit down, we sit down in circles, and the inner circle talks, and the outer circle listens, and then we flip-flop. But the inner circle has the opportunity to bring theological, hypothetical, ideological questions to the table of whatever... Um, articles they found on the topics I gave them or the text that we are reading. And then we connect the two. Like, what does that mean? So, you know, we're talking about issues like identity. um, And we do talk about issues like homophobia and xenophobia, because the things that are going on in our country, our teenagers are not immune to. I know we get a lot of, um, oh, this is the generation that eats Tide Pods. But if you sat in one of my classes, you would be like, what? And what's even more um, something that that kind of blows me out of the water sometimes is I don't teach the international baccalaureates. I don't teach the AP students. I don't teach the honor students. Most of the time I have a class that is taking this literature class for the second or third time. Hmm. Um, I do have some first timers in there. They're not all remedial, but these are students that have been left. And when they sit down on Fridays and they get to ask these deeper questions, you see this light bulb go off in them, and you see this connection to the world. And that is when they start connecting literature to their life. And that is where I see the difference being made and the growth being made. You know, I, one of the first conversations that we ever had, we were talking about uh, mental health. And I had a student straight up tell me that he thinks mental health doesn't exist. He thinks that mental issues doesn't exist because if you're suffering from mental health, then you've got demons in you and you are going through spiritual warfare and you just need to go to church more and they'll pray over you. Um, And he got attacked a little bit by the people in the room Um, and my job In in that setting is to be mediator, and so we had to go back and forth, and we're talking this through. Okay, where did you where did you get that ideology? Where does that come from? Is that really what you think, or is that something that you have heard? Are these voices that are being repeated in your mind of of your upbringing? And he had to stop, and he had to think for a minute, and he he changed his position. Uh, Which was really interesting, but he changed his position after we had some personal anecdotes from other students. And not only personal anecdotes, but other students bringing up literature that addressed these issues. Um, And I I just found that really, really fascinating that we had this opportunity to really dive in and say, okay, think for yourself for a minute. Do you really think that way? Do you really feel that way? And when they sit down and examine that and it's not always how they really feel, it's like gold. It's, it's what fills my soul.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's just one example of how we are told certain things and just take that for granted, mm-hmm. you know, where it's just like, okay, well, the sky is blue. Well, why is it blue? I don't know. It's just blue. Okay. Well, you walk through life without ever questioning why the sky might be blue, Yes, you know, and it's like, at what point... Um, i I think this also came up in our our pre podcast uh question. conversation, which is question everything, yes. and I remember somebody writing that bit of like graffiti on the wall question yes. everything, and somebody like wrote underneath it, why yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is like a beautiful existential question um, but it 's true though it 's like it 's not so much destroying somebody 's belief that 's not the point it 's not about challenging and saying well, what you think is wrong it 's about right. where fundamentally does that belief come from Absolutely. where does it sit inside you mm-hmm. is it something of your own making or is it just something that somebody has told you and you're yes. parroting it
0: and not only question everything but also you need to do your own research yes. don't listen to what someone is telling you and i tell them that in the classroom all the time i can sit here and spew things at you and you can take them as truth but how do you know yeah. How do you know if I, what I'm saying is factual? If you don't go look for yourself, which right. is part of why I make them go look for articles um, and why I make them do the research, because even even your parents, we all love our parents,
1: yes, of course. But
0: sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, um, what we are told growing up is their belief system, and it is it is okay for us to differ. Yeah. You know, not saying that it's wrong, but it is okay for us to differ.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, we all do the most with what we have, right? Hopefully. Like, I think that's the intent is you... You're doing the best with the means that are made available to you at the time. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. at the same point in time, I think that's a great thing to unpack there is that like even putting yourself in the position of educator Mm -hmm. or guide, as it were, just because you are leading the classroom doesn't necessarily mean that everything you say is truth. And it would be wonderful to incentivize your students, your class to actually challenge what it is that you say, because I think the more that we build critical thinkers and send Mm. them out into the world Mm. that's how we begin shaping society and culture where it's not just a matter of somebody telling you what to do and you abiding by the rule but Mm. saying like why is this rule a rule why is this law a law who is actually benefiting from it you know instead of just saying that like oh well i'm telling you that this does x y and z for you but we're not going to break down who that separates or right. <laughs> who is excluded from that law or that rule.
0: Yes. And, and exclusion and inclusion is a very big topic that we talk about, you know? So I, I love what you're saying. Like you have to challenge you do. And it's hard. It's, it's really hard to be in a classroom where you have, um, shared space, Mm-hmm so last year I taught with another teacher. Uh, it was a co-taught model and she was much older and she's by the, the old school model. You know, you sit down, you don't talk, you don't voice your opinion. Um, ask to get up and sharpen your pencil. Like, you know, uh, just very controlled, very controlled. And I'm just not that teacher or guide. <laughs> I am not that person. Like, If you have something to add to the conversation that is meaningful, please, please add to it. Um, So it is very, it's very different. The model of education that we had is not working for what we have now. We, you know, we kind of talked about this in our call about how the original model, going back to the Industrial Revolution, is to put them in rows, make them sit in rows tell them to do a job. They're expected to do their job because we're training them to sit in rows in a factory. And now we don't have factory jobs. Now we have yeah. these jobs that are um, taking the creative model. And we need to show students that there is more than one path. And it's OK if some of those paths are dirt, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, just take your own path, man.
1: <laughs> and I think that is I think that's fascinating. Like when you brought that up, I was like, wow, I didn't even think about that, about how sitting in a a road classroom where each of the desks is set up in in rows and and columns there, that you're basically creating an assembly line. But And then within that dynamic, you create a front and a back. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, what if we were to challenge the shape or take the shape of the classroom, the setup, and make it circular? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so that everyone is kind of on an even playing field. Everyone is at the front and everyone is at the back at the same point in time. Everyone is visible, you know. So it's kind of creating that sort of environment where everyone is present. Yes. Because there is the possibility of sitting in the back and being out of sight. And also, if you wanted to slack off a little bit, you could, you know, because like the teacher's attention doesn't necessarily reach you in the way that she would. He or she or they would be viewing you at the front,
0: right? You yeah, know, yeah. The circular motion um, and circular formation definitely <laughs> changes things. It's really funny when we get into uh, British literature and we're reading about King Arthur, and all the students go, "We're at the round table! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we're all equal!" And I sit in the circle, like I don't sit in the middle. You know, I sit in the circle with them, and for them to see that. Okay, no, I'm not necessarily your equal because I am still the the present adult in the room. But yeah. you can talk about things with me. I, I, I probably um, it's it's kind of surprising to me that I haven't been docked or fired yet because they cuss in my room, um, and so do I sometimes because sometimes things are just fucked up, and yeah. it's okay to say that's really fucked up, you know. Um, they, they always kind of go oh, when I do it, but putting putting that perspective of, okay, she's not a, above necessarily, but she is here to listen and to really be part of this and fostering relationships is one of the biggest things that education had lacked for such a long time. Yeah. You know, when you get to know your students, you get to know their story. You get to know where they're coming from that. That's when they'll work for you. (laughs) have So many teachers say, how do you get so-and-so to work for you? Well, did you know that they're living in their car? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, get to know your students, you know?
1: Absolutely. I mean, just think of how many things even outside of the classroom where it's like if you get to know the person as a person, how Mm. much more productive of an interaction a relationship that will be, you know, And Mm -hmm. even in the realm of professionalism, like this takes me back to like interviews and also like auditions Mm. where it's like that level of separation, like the extreme, like I'm going to cut off like any sort of human emotion on my side. And it's like perform for me, impress me, do something to make me. It's almost as if they set you at a subhuman level and expect you to rise to something human when they're giving you nothing in response. Right. How do you actually expect to get to know somebody and see the best aspects of somebody if you're already setting them at a level below zero?
0: It's basically setting them up for failure.
1: Yes. That's anybody. Right. But if you if you find a connection, if you're able to say like, hey, that interests me, too, or I'm going Mm -hmm. to smile because you've told a joke Mm -hmm. or because you've said something that I resonate with. And so I'm going to share a little bit of something that that echoes in my life. Mm -hmm. If we were able to connect more genuinely with one another. Yes. I think that there would be greater understanding and acceptance and you would be able to have a more fruitful relationship with somebody whatever that relationship happens to be whether it's student Mm -hmm. mentor whether it's you know boss and employee and Mm -hmm. but i do understand like coming back to what you were saying of like i think it's a matter of saying or meeting anybody at their level but yes. also understanding where there's a dynamic involved. And it's like, yes, I'm presiding over this classroom. Yes, there does need to be a level of basic respect. You know yes. what I mean? But yeah. I also think that that respect should be earned on both sides. Mm. You know, it's not just like, don't question it, but it's also like, don't just immediately challenge it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a tricky thing, but it's like at the same point in time, it's like also viewing your students as people. Yeah, we are, yeah people, we're equal. <laughs> we people. can be equal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you are human and yes. it's like... It Coming back to the whole cussing in class and stuff like that, it's also real, Yeah, you know, especially in public schools and just knowing like living here in Brooklyn and I live within walking distance of two school districts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear kids younger than 12 yep. cussing, but it's also like, <laughs> I get it.
0: Yeah.
1: Because of just the school district that I live in and the neighborhood that we live in. Right. It's just a part of reality.
0: And it's part of their culture. It's what they're listening to all the time. Um but I have to say, it's not excessive, uh, and and it's used appropriately. Yeah, you know when oh gosh when we got into the discussion about the wall and talking about these detention centers and what that means, you know, children being ripped from their families, and they're doing they're doing the research and they're coming to me and they're going, Miss W, this is really fucked up, and I'm going. Yeah. I agree you know uh, and, you know we're not supposed to bring politics and religion into the classroom but your personal belief systems seep in no matter what because we are human you know but also so, y-
1: yeah religion is one thing religion is one thing but I'm also like how do you not bring politics into a classroom
0: you can't <laughs> you can't because right? that, I mean that's what literature is literature is for the most part these social critiques of what is going on during the time especially in British literature yeah so you know the, and 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 I love that—that's a senior class because they are older. They are a little more mature. They are paying attention to what's going on, um, and they can handle those topics.
1: Yeah, but also like, how can you teach history and say, "Well, we're not going to talk about politics"? Right, (laughs) when history is all political, you know, like the most. Yeah, pretty much everything is is political unless you're like studying theology but that's probably going to be a separate class you know like the development of mesopotamia well at some point they definitely had like a political system so it's just we're meant to learn from these things like that's the whole thing is that like Mm -hmm. you would really hope that the educational system is developing in a way that helps us to better step forward into a more productive inclusive accepting future yeah you would hope you would hope yes
0: yes and speaking of that um, you know inclusive future it's It's ironic that we just started our fairy tales, myths, and legends unit with our world literature, and your guest this week um, was talking about her fancy tales. And I was like, man, I want to get a hang of some of those, and like, we could read those in class and give them a little spin on what this means and what that looks like and how is this progressing the culture. Um, So I was really excited about that.
1: Yeah. Well, if you need copies, I have copies. So (laughs) again, this is Felice Cohen's Fancy Tales, which are fairy tales with a queer spin. So um, and if you would like to hear more information on that, please check out uh, last week's episode, which was with Felice Cohen. And that's called Writing Through the Past. Yes.
0: It was so wonderful.
1: I have a question for you, Tiff, and this may be slightly putting you on the spot. Okay. (laughs) Um, But have you seen how, like, the appointment of Betsy DeVos has ricocheted through the education system at your level?
0: Mm. Um, I don't think that it's come down to our level yet. Um, I do feel like it is coming. Sometimes sometimes with education, no, not sometimes, a lot of the times with education, things move so slowly that you're like, oh, we don't see those effects for 10 years. (laughs) So, um, I mean, currently, just locally in our school district and and what's going on in our school specifically, we're not seeing a lot of those effects.
1: Yeah. And as you said, like, sometimes it takes a minute for that to really Mm -hmm. affect the granular level you know but it's also like what is being passed at some point higher up that it's just saying like things can stay the same as they are so I think it's more about progressing and moving forward than it is about like you know it's challenging the way that things and systems and institutions are already in place mm-hmm. and challenging that and expanding beyond it. Or in certain cases, providing more money to lower funded areas. Right. You know?
0: Yeah, we we were very fortunate this year. We uh we were awarded something called the literacy grant, which is helping us identify our lower readers and their lexile scores and looking at how they can improve. And it it's a really cool system because it also does give us some idea of where students could progress to. So, you know, there are systems coming in place that are helping with that growth, but it doesn't always take into account complexity, right? So you can have something progress their reading rate, but not necessarily their complexity rate. And honestly, I'm more interested in creating analytical thinkers than robots that can read a certain word per minute.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, again, it's all about developing the way in which you don't just take things for truth, you mm-hmm. know, but investigating where that that truth lives inside of you, what yeah. how that matches up with the way that you want to meet the world.
0: Yes. You know? Yeah, I think that's beautifully put the way that you want to meet the world. And we, t- we talk about victimization a lot and how you can let the world happen to you or you can happen to the world. Be an active participant. Yeah. You know, don't just sit idly by. You get one life. Do something with it that's of of notoriety. And if you can't do that, at least be kind.
1: Yeah. It makes me think of, um, so I'm an avid listener to Oprah's Super Soul Conversations, and she's (laughs) been doing, I love Oprah, Um, she's been doing a series with Eckhart Tolle, uh, breaking down each chapter of his book, A New Mm. Earth. And and one point, he talks about life isn't something you do. It's something that happens to you mm. in the sense that you are constantly in a state of living. Like there's no, you know, when, when people digress of like, oh, well, my life this or my life that. Life is constantly happening to you. Mm-hmm. And it's how you show up and meet life where yeah. you'll find the most reward.
0: Okay, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. So... And that's, that's the tricky part of of teaching in this demographic is there are so many horrible things. I had a student that was shot last year. You know, we have students that are homeless. We have students that are living in cars and it's not all doom and gloom. Please don't think that (laughs) like it's not, it's really not all doom and gloom, but you do have these individual instances that are enough to make an impact on you and go, wow, you know, okay, well, how are you handling that? And, and what did you, Learn from that. What can you take from that? How does that make you approach the world differently? Um, this certain individual student was talking about how she does not listen to music walking down the street like the majority of our youth do, because she has to be super vigilantly aware because of her experiences. So it's so it, it does go back to having to make sure that you do approach the world in a way that is of your choice. Yeah. Don't let it control you but you make the choice to show up you make the choice to be kind you make the choice to investigate you make the choice to become an entrepreneur or go to college or go to the military or whatever your path is but those are your choices
1: absolutely and I should say that like that perception is not like oh everything's like sugar you know that everything Mm. is perfect and and it's just a matter of like Everyone is offered an equal opportunity in life. That is completely different, as we know that to not be the case. But it's more of like life is something that is constantly happening to you. And again, it's about the active choices that you make to show up and challenge those things that challenge you, you know? So it's not like...
0: And the concept of fair, we hear that a lot, right? It's not fair. Yeah. Okay, well, fair isn't equal.
1: It sure as hell isn't.
0: That's not it. You know, fair is, okay, this this person needs 10 more minutes to complete the test than you do because this person has a processing disorder. So we are giving them the opportunity to be on a level playing field. But fair is not equal. And that's a hard lesson. That's a yeah. really hard lesson.
1: <laughs> yes. I think fairness is probably the hardest lesson to learn when you're young. Mm-hmm. Because we're raised with that idea of things should be fair, right? That sharing yeah. means equality. Right. That a very surface level glance, fairness comes in so many ways, but it's like what actually affects fairness and who is affected by what is or isn't fair. Absolutely. Anyway, it makes me think I was, I've was i been rewatching Game of Thrones. And oh, like, yes. <laughs> Sansa like in season one she's very much all about but it's not fair it's right? not fair and I'm like oh girl I can't Get wait for it. your yeah I can't wait for your season seven self to show up and be like yeah what was fairness right. what was it oh my
0: gosh I, lo- I love that I have a Game of Thrones map on my wall in my classroom and
1: <laughs> I you only better have... teach that Westeros geography
0: I, I only have a few students that are like I know what that is, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, all the geekiness right up there beside my Gryffindor um, poster.
1: (laughs) I love it. Fully advocate for it.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) But so I actually want to come back to what you were just saying about what are some of the challenges that are facing your students outside of the classroom?
0: So outside of the classroom, we have so many students that are working full time jobs. You know, they're going to school at least part-time. So a lot of, especially a lot of the seniors, they'll come to my class first thing in the morning. They may have a second block, they may not, and then they leave and they go to work. And these students are generally supporting either their siblings or their parents or themselves. Uh, so it, it does completely change the dynamic of what is going on in the classroom because it's It is really hard. It is really hard to make a student care about a vocabulary test uh, when they are worried about where their next meal might come from. Yeah. One of the most beautiful things, I mean, most beautiful things about working at Douglas County High is our food pantry. Uh, It is donation based. It is open to anyone, student, staff, anyone who needs food. There is food there for them. We have a clothing uh, closet. We have a prom dress closet. We have an interview closet. We have these resources available to our students so that if they need them, they are there. And I think that we have built a culture at this school by getting to know our students and creating these relationships that our students know that they can come to us. And there's no shame. Yeah. There's absolutely, there's no judgment. There's no shame. There's no questions asked. And the amazing teacher who runs the food pantry at the end of my hall, she talks about how you'll see these students come in and get food. And after a while, you'll see them start to grab things that their siblings would want. Or they start grabbing things for their siblings first. Yeah, a lot of the time. So you do see a lot of the challenges come from economic standing and we're kind of in a transient section of our city. So we are housed um, kind of in the middle of Douglasville. So we have a lot of the Section 8 housing, and we have a lot of the students that are in and out because we are located right on the interstate to going between Alabama and South Carolina. So we have a lot of transfers. We have a lot of students that um, are going between houses or going to grandma's house or staying at aunt and uncle's house. And so we have a lot of those challenges, and it's hard to make them care about what's going on in the classroom. But when you form those relationships, they still show up. They show up and they pay attention, or they show up and say, I need a day, and you can choose to be compassionate or not. And they don't often do this, but there are some times when they say, I need a day can I just sit? Yes, you can. Yeah. Or I need a few minutes. Can I go to the restroom? Yes, absolutely. Uh, or I need to go talk to my counselor. Sure thing. Uh, and they don't take advantage of it because they've formed that relationship with me and they know my expectation of them is to participate and to learn something and to put forth their best effort. But they also know that they can come to me if things are too heavy. And that I'm not going to be the teacher that goes, "Well, you're SOL. You didn't get your book bag from your dad's house this week."
1: Again, it's about creating that atmosphere of of trust and reliability, and saying that, like, I'm here to meet you as a person. You know, mm, not yes. just as a student, not just as a report card, but as a person, and, and yes. understanding what it is that you're going through. Yeah. And I think by creating that environment that is shame free, that is judgment free, because those are so important, especially to uh, someone in their formative years. If you can create that space where somebody feels able to confide Mm -hmm. in their guides, mentors, teachers, as it were, that they're more willing to show up for their own education.
0: Yes, absolutely. And to know that like, okay, just because you're not an honor student or an AP student or an IB student, that college is still an option if that's the route you want to go, but it's not the route that we necessarily push. And we have a saying at Douglas County high to be 4g ready. And that's goals, grades, grind, and graduation. Those are our goals. Like we, we want you to have goals for after high school, whatever it might be, you know, your grades should be your focus at It it is important. The grind is important. The persistentness, the showing up, the trying your hardest. So the grind is every day in and out. And then our graduation, our graduation rate in Georgia is only 80%. It's not terribly low. It has improved, but it's not great either. The graduation rate at my school in particular fluctuates, like I said, because we are a transient school. And unfortunately, if a senior transfers in May they count that as a non-graduate. So the rate is kind of skewed, which kind of stinks cuz it doesn't really reflect what we're doing there, but you know, the majority do. Do just fine and they do graduate and they go into the workforce or they go to military, they go to trade school. You know, we do talk to them a lot about pathway in high school. Choose a pathway. Do JROTC, do visual arts, do foreign language. Do tech, you know, hospitality and marketing. Pick something to focus on. So if you get into it and you like it, that could be a career move after high school. Um, Or you get into it and you don't like it. You haven't wasted tuition money in college to find out that this is not your path.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of like adapting the way the school system sort of approaches things for a modern student. Is there a lot of emphasis on singular career path or choice? Because I feel like nowadays, it's we don't necessarily follow, or I feel like maybe this is because of living in New York and, and many of the friends that I've made. It's not necessarily about singular career path, but mm. multiple opportunities. And I, this was a bit that you and I had also talked about in our prior call of like, you can be a nurse and a writer and like mm-hmm. finding ways in which there's multiple financial aspects to your life. And yes. what actually does a career look like? Does it have to be one thing? Right. Or can it be multiple aspects?
0: Yeah, it, it makes me think about um, I was watching a video that Jim Carrey put out there. And it was talking about his dad. His dad was a great comedian, but he never took the leap. He got the safe job, right? And he was let go from Mm -hmm. the safe job after like 20 years, he was so close to retirement and didn't get it right. And when, when I'm talking to my students, I'm like, okay, there are safe jobs, that's fine. But if you're doing something that you love, if you're doing something that you are productive in and you love, how much more fulfilling is your life? Yeah. You know? And so, no, there aren't singular. Teaching was not my... This has not always been my thing, you know, so I have done photography, I've done personal fitness, I've done uh, nutrition coaching, I have run tutoring centers and um, selling $10,000 tutoring programs, I've been a marketing manager, I've worked in a hospital, <laughs> in the we work together um, yes. in a hospital, you know, doing verifications and filing paperwork. So I, I try to tell them, this is, this is not forever. Yeah, everything's temporary. Anyway,
1: absolutely. College doesn't equal success. Right. In the sense that it's like, oh, well, now that you're in your senior year, you must start thinking about college, what it Mm -hmm. is that you want to do for the rest of your life. My God, if I were to revisit myself at 17, 18 years old, I would be like, here's a secret. You don't know what you want to do with the rest of your life. So don't feel like you need to know now.
0: <laughs> well, and it's not even senior year, Nick. It starts freshman year. Freshman yeah. year, we're pushing these kids to pick something or where do you want to go? Do you want to be college track? Because if you want to be college track, you got to take this set of classes. If you want to be tech track and not go to a four year university or even have that be a possibility, you got to go down this road. Um yeah. And how much pressure is that on 13, 14-year-olds?
1: It's ridiculous. You know, it yeah. is.
0: It is absolutely ridiculous. And so telling them, hey, look, you may not have it figured out right now. Have something in mind for a right after. But that yeah. doesn't mean it's forever.
1: <laughs> right. Yes. Find something that, like, what is it? that you gravitate towards? What's something that's, you know, sparks your interest or brings you some level of satisfaction? Investigate that, like, everything should almost kind of be approached with that, the scientific method, where it's just like, let me approach this and see how much enjoyment I get out of it. And if it doesn't work, okay, at least I tried. But like, just keep approaching different things with the intent that, you could eventually find a path that feels right. And it might be not a singular path, but multiple paths that lead to one point. And that is your ultimate well-being and success. Absolutely. You know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just that is one aspect that I would like to see change in the school system is like, yes, Yes. push push people, push students to aspire to be um, successful, but also explain what success
0: right. <laughs> needs to be. You know what I mean? And, and, that, and success doesn't look the same for everybody. Correct. You know, successful for me is security. I need to have a house. I need to have a roof over my head. Um, that is success to me. But success to someone else may be, you know, fulfilling other people yeah. and helping other people. And then they're successful, even if you know, a house isn't important to them. So knowing that success is not a cookie cutter, one fits all type deal, you know, they do need to know that. And I think the way that our world is changing, when we're talking about technology, and we're talking about all these different avenues to create income and to be a member of society, they need to know that it's, it's not one option
1: yeah not everything can also be taught in a college
0: yes oh my gosh it's that's so funny we were um studying parody and (laughs) i had a student we did a project where they had to go find a parody right and she found this parody that was evry university and it was like a spin on devry and they're making fun of you know if you go to college, you get a degree. If you get a degree, you get a job. If you get a job, you can pay back those student loans as soon as possible <laughs> or yeah. for the rest of your life. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> you can die on a mountain of debt.
0: Right. And we yeah. can't guarantee you'll get a really good job, but we can guarantee that you'll get close to a degree.
1: Yep. Degrees don't always mean anything, you know. No. You can you can start the internet in your garage. Right. Yes. You know? Yes. So, which I don't know that's where the internet started but <laughs> i
0: think no i do i think bill gates and steve jobs both started in a garage yes yeah
1: so but anyway there's just so much to unpack is is yes. truly it and it's again like this like so many conversations is just surface level mm-hmm. you know so the point being that we just need to have you back and dive further uh, into thanks. yeah just dive further into more conversations yeah um but we are unfortunately approaching our hour already that was such a quick quick conversation but tiff where can we find more of you your work sure all the things tiffany danielle
0: my instagram if you want to follow me on instagram is tiffany t-i-f-f-a-n-y dot danielle d-a-n-i-e-l-l-e dot author a-u-t-h-o-r uh, and I've got some poetry coming out there. I'm also getting ready to launch some more social media that's more public so I can put some of my short stories out there. And, um, yeah, that's where I am.
1: Excellent. And listeners, please check out Tiff's work because it is great. Your poems are just so Thank powerful. You. Yeah, absolutely. So author. Check it out on the IG. And then once again, if you go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash typed out, you can download your version of
0: Rachel Hollis's Girl Wash Your Face.
1: Girl, wash your face. Yes. Again, if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out, you can download your 30 day trial and listen along to Girl Wash Your Face for free and as always on your favorite content we ask you to rate review subscribe we always love feedback so let us know if you have questions for myself if you have questions for tiff please write in typed out at gmail.com we would love to hear from you as always i have been your host nick polifrone tiff thank you so much for your contribution to today's episode
0: thank you so much it's always a pleasure
1: this has been a typed out production we will see everyone next week all right tiff thank you thank you and we'll see you soon
0: all right bye